Good morning, church. Welcome to the first ever South Shores Church live stream. Today is a historic day, and I am so glad that you are here to join along with us uh, this morning. Uh, one thing I love about these circumstances, which is, is this is wild uh, this past week, but one thing that I love about the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that it proves that no matter what happens, what is going on around the world, God's people will get into God's word as their authority. So thank you. So let's, let's get into God's word. Matthew 26, starting verse 69. And as we're coming into the passage, all the people that are involved today have had an unusually wild week. I would guess that they have felt like they've gone through the spin cycle as it started with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding triumphantly on a donkey. And then you turn around and people are shouting and mobbing Jesus. You have the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Hellenists trying to trip Jesus up in his words. But then you also have Jesus' supporters saying, Hosanna, praise him, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And every time it just seems like a minute goes by, something else is happening. And then Jesus is arrested and all of his followers feel like they are an un charted territory. They don't know. They don't see the next move in the handbook. No one knows what the next announcement is going to be or what is to take place next. Now, you're probably thinking much of this uncertainty sounds kind of like this past week in your life. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. It, this is a little heavy. We don't know if we're supposed to stay home or go to work, if it's safe to go outside, to go for a walk. We don't know, if, um, we don't know if how it's going to get crazy, if the stock market's going to fall off another cliff. We don't know where we're going to get our next roll of toilet paper. It feels like we have gone through a very similar spin cycle, doesn't it? And when things get crazy and anxieties get high, it's really easy to start looking out for the big number one. For, to start looking out for myself and my family. And when we start doing that, when we start becoming more and more concerned with ourselves, we're going to disappoint people. We're going to disappoint Jesus. And in our passage today, all involved, they are their highest priority, which is why we've titled this message, When Jesus Disappoints. And at this point, we've all disappointed Jesus, and we will continue to do so. So our main idea today, out of everything, what I want you to hear and take in the most is this. Our failures showcase Christ's victory. Our failures showcase Christ's victory. And we do that through the traditional three points. So here we go. First point, disappointments come in threes. Disappointments come in threes. Look at Matthew 26, starting verse 69 with me. And here's what the word of the Lord has for us. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them, saying, I do not know what you mean. And then when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. 
And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a while, while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are, too are one of them, and your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately he ro roaster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So first we have Peter, the main man of Jesus, like Jesus' right-hand man. And every time I picture Jesus, I always picture him a big man. I don't know why. The, the Gospels don't tell us. And he's probably tough. His hands are probably calloused from all those years of fishing. And he is the outspoken one. So he regularly speaks for all the disciples. And I'm sure there's numerous times where he speaks for all the disciples. And then several of the disciples are like, that's not what I was feeling. But anyway, so he's this outspoken, right-hand man of Jesus, this big, tough guy. And he is just one big teddy bear on the inside. He is a big softy. And, he, and along the way, in chapter 16, we see that Peter is the first one to proclaim Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And then, coming into chapter 26, Jesus, in talking to his disciples, tells that the shepherd, meaning himself, is going to be taken away, and then the sheep are going to scatter. And the disciples knew right away that it meant that they were going to leave him. And Peter with all force said, no, I would rather die than deny you. I would, I'm going to die instead of leave your side. And then some 30 verses later, Jesus gets arrested and all of it goes out the window. And we have Jesus on trial and he's being accused on these trumped up charges and he's found guilty and you have Peter who's just trying to take it in. And he's standing there by the fire, and he's, he's trying to get warm. And all of a sudden, a servant girl goes, hey, 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 you were one of those guys with Jesus from Galilee, aren't you? And he plays coy. He goes, oh, no, no I, uh, who are you talking about? I, I don't know the man. And then a little while la later, another girl comes up to him and says, hey, hey, you were certainly one of those that was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, no way. No, I, certainly not, not me. No, I do not know Jesus. I was not with him. And then lastly, the crowd sees Peter and they, they gather around him and they say, oh no, you were with Jesus. Your, your accent betrays you. And we see in all three accusations that Peter knows Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, he's a foreigner. He's not from Jerusalem. He's, he's from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. The accent of Peter, because in the north they were seen as outcasts or, or you know, their accent. They even spoke a different dialect of Hebrew. And so if you were a follower of Jesus, you're not one of us from Jerusalem, the big city. And so your accent even tells us that you are a follower of Jesus. And what it says in the text is that Peter swears at himself, which I think can be translated as him saying, forget Jesus. But he didn't say forget what he says, the many com commentators think that what Jesus actually, or Peter actually said was the same thing that Roman emperors made Christians prove that they were not following Jesus any longer. And so he uses this very strong language to prove he's not a follower of Jesus. And as soon as he says, forget Jesus, the rooster crows. 
And in Luke, it tells us that Peter actually comes eye to eye with Jesus. And he runs out and he, and he weeps bitterly, realizing what he has done. And then, so we have Peter who disappoints Jesus. Second, we have Judas. So look again, Matthew 26, starting verse 3. It says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. So they took the the council and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. So we see Judas, who Judas has had many of the same exact experiences as Peter. He left his home. He followed Jesus for three years. He heard the teaching. He saw and witnessed the miracles, yet his heart was not changed. One of the only things that we know about Judas during those three years was he was one of those that he was stealing from the purse of all the disciples because he was looking out for himself. When addressing Jesus, the rest of the disciples, they called him Lord. Judas called him Rabbi. So instead of God, my Savior, our Christ, he is a good teacher. And as soon as he saw that Jesus wasn't going to fulfill his agenda to overtake the Roman Empire. He deserts Jesus and sells him for 30 pieces of silver. And after realizing that Jesus has been convicted of false charges, of what he has done, he he brings the silver back and says, there's innocent blood on my hands and I, I I can't have this. And he throws the silver on the ground. And in the weight of his sin, on on his shoulders is too much that it crushes him, that he ends up ending his life. So we have Peter, we have Judas, and then we have the priests. The high priests, they never had realized that Jesus had authority, that he was the son of God, who he was, that Jesus was who he said he was. And so when they took the money, they even they took the silver back and they even admitted that they were wrong because it's blood money. We can't put it in the treasury of the temple. God won't bless that. And so what do they do? They take the money and they buy a field for strangers. So basically foreigners who have been traveling and they end up dying in Jerusalem. And so they see this as a common good. So an innocent man dies, but we've done a common good for all the people and so what they do is they, they take the truth. They take that they have disappointed Jesus and they just stuff it down. They, they don't admit to it. They, they put it out of sight, out of mind, and convince themselves they've done something for the community. And they're able to move on. And so we have Peter, we have Judas, and we have the high priests. And now at this point, all of us should be asking, like, what does this have to do with us? Well, we disappoint Jesus in the same way. All of us fit into these three groups, meaning we've all disappointed Jesus. We, we can't help it. We're not strong enough not to. And you might be saying, whoa, 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 I, I, I don't disappoint Jesus. I, I, I'm not a sinner. I would challenge you, go back to Matthew, chapter five through seven. It's Jesus's famous sermons 
the Sermon on the Mount, and just go through it and see if you line up with what Jesus says. I haven't met one person who comes out of that unscathed. And so we have all messed up. We have all deserted Jesus at some point. And the Bible is clear that we are not strong enough to live up to the standard of perfection. This last week, I was reading about George Hood, who's 62 years old. A month ago today, so on February 15th, 2020, George Hood, he set the Guinness Book of World Records for holding a plank. Now, a plank is where you put all your weight on your elbows and your toes, and he held a plank for eight hours, 15 minutes, and 15 seconds. Now, just to test it out, yesterday I I tried to see how long I could hold a plank, and I couldn't even get two minutes. He does over eight hours. I couldn't even do two minutes. I don't think most of us could hold a plank or, or could even stand up straight for eight hours and 15 minutes. This is an amazing feat, what he was able to do. I mean, his strength is just amazing. But yet, it's finite. It has limits. He's not able to hold it forever. So what I mean is our ability, our strength, even if we have tried our hardest, is not strong enough to never disappoint Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, we're all sinners I mean, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, this church is filled with a bunch of sinners. Well, usually. And that's how we want it, because you don't have to become to receive. We are all becoming because we've received. You don't have to become to receive. We are all becoming who Jesus wants us to be because we've received the grace through Jesus Christ. And so we all fall into our three groups, into, into Peter, into Judas, into the high priest. And if you go, you know what, I've never acknowledged Jesus' authority. I think he, he might have some good sayings, and, and, you know, that's fine. You know, I am just thankful that you are spending your time this morning with us. Uh, and thank you for, for tuning in. But I want to focus primarily on Peter and on Judas the rest of the way because these, bull, these men have known Jesus, yet they have severely disappointed him. And so looking at them, how, how have Judas, Judas and Peter, they both disappoint Jesus. How do they end up having completely and contrastingly different ends? Where Peter, he goes on to be the spark to the church. Thousands come to know Jesus because of Peter after he denies Jesus. And then Judas, he is crushed by the weight of his sin upon his shoulders, and he ends up ending his life. Well, our next, it brings us to our next point, the tale of two sorrows, that we have Judas versus Peter. How are they so different in different ends? I think the Apostle Paul describes it the best in 2 Corinthians 7, starting verse 9, where he says, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so sin will always bring grief, even if we don't realize it. And we have to deal with it somehow. And we have two options. 
Option one, we have worldly sorrow or worldly grief. This is where we suppress the sin. We put it out of sight, out of mind. We don't realize the authority of Jesus. And we, we just say, I don't need to pay attention to that. I'm my own authority, just like the high priests. It's like a politician who, even if they are shown the facts that they were wrong, they never will admit it, especially publicly. So you can suppress it or you can put the weight of it on your own shoulders and carry it with all the regret and the insecurity and guilt because we place it on our own shoulders. And this is like my two-and-a-half-year-old son who, over Christmas, he received a brand-new backpack. And then my wife got tired of my ratty old backpack, so my birthday in January, she gave me a new backpack. So my son wanted to take this picture with both of us with our new backpacks, our birthday caps, and balloons in hand. And we take that backpack, and every day when he goes to a friend's, to a babysitter's, to Oma and Papa's house, or Mimi and Grandpa, we stuff it full of, a, of diapers and wipes and snacks and his lunch and a change of clothes because he always gets dirty, toys and books. And this thing is just stuffed to the brim, bursting at the seams. And just like every other two-and-a-half-year-old, he wants to be a big boy, and big boys carry their own backpack. And so he, this thing is stuffed, and he wants it on his back, so we put it on his shoulders. And when he has it on, he, it is so heavy, he looks like he's failing a roadside sobriety test. He is stumbling all over the place, but it doesn't matter because he wants to bear the weight and it lasts for about a minute until he wants to take it off. And it's cute when a two-and-a-half-year-old does that. It's tragic that as you grow and you develop and you become older, you do that with your own grievances and how you've, you've disappointed Jesus. Because at some point, you're going to buckle and you're going to break. And the weight of your sin is going to crush you. And Because we can shed the weight of our backpacks, but we, sinners can't shed the weight of our sin. And all of us have bags filled with disappointments, struggles, and our own sin, which leads to despair and ultimately, like Paul said, leads to death. And this is where we see the effects in the story of Judas, that that weight on his shoulder ultimately crushes him. So we are to trust in the assurance and strength of Jesus Christ. And we do this through the godly grief. So we have worldly sorrow and worldly grief. And we have godly sorrow and godly grief. And what this is, is you, you realize that you have sinned. It's pointed out to you in some way, usually through God's word or maybe through someone else. And you, you see where you are wrong. And yes, you grieve momentarily over it. You mourn over your decisions. But then... You proclaim ownership over it and give it over to Jesus. You proclaim ownership to Jesus and you, you take that weight that's upon your shoulders and you physically place it on the shoulders of Jesus. And he bears our sins. I mean, what a gift. This leads to salvation. This is, leads to freedom in Christ. This leads to life. And we are able to walk around weight-free and so because of Jesus, we don't have to suppress the regret. We don't have to carry our own burdens of our actions in fear, but we get to li live in complete and true freedom. 
So with godly grief, we, we also are commanded not to regret, to not look down upon our, our past life, not to live in the shame of our past, but in the amazement of what the grace that we have received in Christ. Last week, Pastor Derek, he used the passage Romans 8, 28, when we were talking about when Jesus disappoints us. And, and it says, this is what Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And last week when we were looking at it, we, we were looking at how when in life when we are disappointed, all those scenarios, all those situations are ultimately used for ours and others' benefit. And we might not see it in the moment. We might never see it, but God uses it for our good. But then we can also use this same verse that our past sins, our past life before Christ, even while we are in Christ, when we've messed up, we, those, those situations are used again and can be used for ours and others' gain, ours and others' good. That doesn't mean that we won't have earthly consequences, the scars of sin. I and mean, for many of us, they run deep. We just get to see them as trophies of grace instead of scarlet letters. These are our trophies of grace. And so when we repent, we don't get to repent, or I mean, we don't get to regret our previous lives anymore. We get to see them as trophies of grace in our experience of Christ Jesus. I have a brother-in-law who, he is a bodybuilder. He is 250 pounds of one just big muscle. He is six feet tall, and he just he loves to post pictures of himself on Instagram. And some of the pictures he loves to post the most is a before and after photo. A before photo of when he was 15, before he started working out, when he was just a string bean. And he was bullied in high school. And then the after photo of now, of today, and why he posts these photos, not because he's ashamed of what he was before, but because he likes to show off what, when you're dedicated to the gym and lifting weights and working out, how that has changed his life, how it has physically transformed his life as a human being. As Christians, we are called to do the same thing. We aren't supposed to hide our previous life, our past life, what we've gone through, how decisions we've made mistakes in. We are called as Christians to show how Christ has resurrected those situations, how he has changed our life, how we were not strong enough to do it on our own or carry the weight of the burden upon our own shoulders. I mean, the best way to use the past, the best ways to use our trophies of grace is to help others who are struggling with those same things. And we see that all over in our church. We have people who have struggled with gambling addiction, and so he started a group to help others who struggle with their own addiction. We, we've seen people help with divorce recovery or mental health issues or struggle with lusts and pornography addiction, struggles with, with pride or maybe being a workaholic, not giving the right attention to God and to your family and to friends. One of the strongest tools that we have in our toolbox to show off our trophy of grace is your personal testimony. Your testimony how Christ has come into your life and resurrected you spiritually. How you were lost before Christ and how you have experienced him and how you continue on in full faith and assurance with him. Look who I, was, who, look who I am today versus who I was previously. 
So godly grief, its ultimate end, is our failures showcase Christ's victory. Now, with this idea of your personal testimony, we have many powerful testimonies here at church. Uh, there's a gal here at church, Heather Brody, and she's in my small Bible study, and, and she shared her testimony a few weeks ago, and in preparing for this sermon, I went to her and said, hey, would you please, could we please tape your testimony? And she said, absolutely. So I want you to be able to see it. So check it out. Isn't that incredible? Heather is now married to Adam, uh, and they are members here at our church, and they've had another son, Matthew, and they currently personally support children all across our state and our nation and in the country of Ukraine, giving opportunities to learn and develop, especially in hard and impoverished situations. Uh, Heather is a miracle of Jesus. Amen. And when I asked Heather to share her testimony, I, I wanted to be careful. And I even told her, you know, just share what you're comfortable with sharing. And, and her response blew me away. Uh, she said, you know, my past is God's. And the only way he's going to use my testimony is if I share it. And so we were able to, te- uh, you know, tape her testimony uh, which is amazing. Thank you, Heather. I really appreciate it. Even yesterday, I was texting with Heather, and I just said, you're very courageous. Thank you for, for being willing for us to tape your testimony. And this is what she texted. This is yesterday. She said, I don't think I'm courageous or brave. It's just me surrendering. We all have strongholds. We limit ourselves out of fear. Fear because we are listening to the lies of the enemy or because we aren't trusting God with our whole life. The enemy is so deceptive, it's awesome to know that all of this can be used for his glory. See you Sunday. All right, good to see you, Heather. Thank you so much. And so our failures showcase Christ's victory, which brings us to the last point, our one solution. Our one solution is through Jesus Christ. Peter, who denies Jesus, writes this in 1 Peter 3, 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Can't you almost hear Peter saying, I'm the guy that denied Jesus three times. I'm the one that turned my face from him. I'm the guy that followed him around. But yet when it came to the moment to say, I am a follower of Jesus, I told people, forget Jesus. I don't even know him. This is the same man that, you know, I am unrighteous, but I'm made righteous through the righteousness of Christ. And in my failure, it showcases Christ's victory. If, that, if Peter can do that, that means we can do it as well. So if you're coming here this morning, and even if you're someone who has never recognized the authority of Jesus, or maybe you're someone who is being crushed by the weight of your own choices and decisions, Or maybe you're someone who who you know the truth, you've experienced the truth of Jesus. You just need to accept his generous offer of grace again. You are welcome to come to Jesus and let your failure showcase Christ's victory. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we were able to gather as a church in a very unique way this morning. We thank you that our failures, our past, are not something that has to be held against us, but something that can be showcasing your victory over sin and death. Help us to be people who um, dwell, who are in awe of what Christ has done, shifting the blame, the burden, the guilt, the rebellion from our shoulders onto the shoulders of Jesus. 
Thank you that in, our, in your eyes, we are righteous, we are pure, we are perfect. And thank you that it's not in our strength, but in the strength of Jesus. And so we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.